welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording this on February 9th. And hello, Erica. How are you? Hey, hey, hey. I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. It's an interesting time. January flew by. But lasted forever somehow. Now we're in February. How are you doing, though? <laughs> it truly <laughs> did feel like January was a year. Yes, and it does. now I'm like, wait, it's February. Like, we're halfway through February already? What's yes. happening? How? It doesn't feel like Valentine's. Like, we, we're doing valentine's content and stuff like that but it just doesn't feel like it's supposed to be valentine time for valentine's yeah i know yeah but you know what i'm all for the valentine's day candy yes absolutely i have been enjoying in great amounts yes it it, it is a fun it is a fun time always looks are fun the treats are fun everything's fun did you, as a kid, do the whole, like, little tiny paper valentines that you would, yes. like, then hand out to all your classmates? Yeah, I was, like, knocked over with a wave of nostalgia for that time just because, mm. like, you know, we – I think we, like, commercialize Valentine's Day to a point where it's everything's about, like, oh, passionate love and romance, but – I kind of love that as a kid, you'd just be like, nope, I'm just going to give like these little notes of appreciation to every kid in my class. Mm. And then we all got candy and it was a sugar fest. That's so true. That's such a good point. And I like too how like, I don't even know if kids still do this, but like do like, you know, the exchange that you're talking about. Uh, with the same style of Valentine's we had. But I loved, I also loved picking out my Valentine's. Like what style? Yes. Cause it'd be like a cartoon you liked or Barbies or trucks or toys you liked, some movie, toy story, whatever. Yes. And now that you mentioned that, that was a very like cute nostalgic time. And even like the night before writing all my classmates' names on the thing and stuff like that. that that's, that's such a good point. Cause everyone would get, like you said, appreciate it. And it always felt nice to get all those Valentines from everyone and the candy. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, it just was kind of fun. And I think like maybe it might have sparked my love for snail mail because I love yes. writing letters and notes to people. So yeah, I'm just getting nostalgic over here as we were talking about Valentine's Day. <sighs> I do actually like receiving mail too. That's interesting. Now that you mention it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Good Good times. (laughs) (sighs) Well, yeah, we're going to talk about Valentine's Day. So we're going to get mushy if you are like, no, I'm anti-Valentine's Day. Well, I'm sorry. Um, Maybe skip this episode. (laughs) But um, before we do that, um, we've got a news article and we're going to hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Steve Aoki's Hero Quest at your local bookstore or online at HeroQuest.com and catch Steve live on the Heavenly Hell Tour. Hero Quest is a graphic novel that is the story of a genetically augmented metahuman named Hero who travels into the multiverse 400 years into the future to save Earth from a disaster it cannot avoid. 
It has everything from mutants to robots to zombies to aliens, witches, and more. It's a quest for 10 rings of tremendous power from 10 different worlds that will be needed to save our world from certain disaster. It's an epic journey that will require the hero named Hiro to be cursed to save the lives of billions on Earth. It's a story of heroism, wonder, betrayal, and finally, revelation. This is the hero's journey. This is Hiro's quest. So the story was imagined by the mind of Steve Aoki and written by New York Times bestselling author Jim Kruger and Steve Aoki. So make sure to check it out. And this episode comes thanks again to Steve Aoki's Hero Quest at your local bookstore or online at HeroQuest.com and catch Steve live on the Heavenly Hell Tour. Today's episode is brought to you by Unchipped, the most epic dystopian science fiction adventure series that you've probably never heard of. And bonus points because it's Finnish. And when's the last time you read a Finnish dystopian science fiction novel? Right. Okay. So in this one, humanity is destroying itself as a city's burn, which sounds kind of familiar. It is the time of the great affliction. In this terrible world, a new hope arises. The happiness program, which is the creation of a Finnish pharmaceutical genius, Dr. Laura Solomon. With happiness, pills, mind mapping, and microchips, Dr. Solomon intends to build a new world for the worthy few, which sounds like a perfect plan and nothing could go wrong, right? Right. So this is a raw but fun dystopian sci-fi adventure with an unusual premise describing what happens when technology rules humanity. Either you're chipped living inside the AR society or you're left outside to barely survive. Make sure to check out Unchipped by Taya DeVere. And thanks again to Unchipped, the most epic dystopian science fiction adventure series that you probably never heard of for sponsoring this episode. Before we get to the rest of the show and to the books, we wanted to announce that Book Riot is hiring a full stack web developer. Applications are due February 28th. So if you're interested in coming to work for us, we'd love to have you. Just make sure you get your apps in by February 28th. All right. So you clued me into this news article, which (laughs) made me laugh (laughs) because there are... Two new Twilight books in the works. Yes. Yeah. Which my first reaction was, really? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so terrible to say. I mean. <laughs> it's your truth, Tirza. It's right? your truth, and that's okay. I read all the Twilight books like every other, you know, middle or not middle school. That was in high school when those books came out. Like every other yeah. high school girl, but... Um, It's interesting to me when, like, something like Twilight has been around for so long that, like, there is demand for, like, more books. Because I was really surprised when Midnight Sun came out, which, if you are unaware, is the version of Twilight, but written from Edward's perspective. Like, that was published a couple of years ago. And that was, like, really popular. I was like, seriously? So it makes me wonder, like, is it finding new readers? Is it, like, the nostalgia? I don't know. Yeah. Stephanie Meyer's working on two more Twilight books, and she did not share her details. They're just outlined. She's gotten a little bit written, but they're not fully written. And apparently she has confirmed that they will not be sequels to Midnight Sun. So who knows which direction she's going in. Yeah, that's interesting. I mm, I remember before Twilight got super duper popular, I remember seeing it in um, like my library or whatever when I was uh, in high school. And 
it looked like something I would normally like, but at that moment, I just didn't feel like I felt like reading something different. So I never ended up reading them. Oh, so I have no, I didn't see the movie. Interesting. I've seen, I know what happens just because it's such a cultural, it was such a cultural moment. Twilight, like that's the only reason I know what happened. And it wasn't like, I feel like if it had come out a little, if I had become aware of it just a little sooner, I probably would have really liked it because I liked, you know, supernatural stuff and all that stuff. But I just never got into it. It wasn't like, I wasn't against it. I wasn't like anti-Twilight. I just was Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, you know, I'm not feeling those type of books right now. Yeah. So I'm just like, but yet, and yet I know all of the funny, like weird things, and the main plot, and most of the things that happen. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a wild ride, and I know the last full episode we did, I was like, oh, I'm gonna make you watch The Breakfast Club, and like I'm not gonna actually make you watch all the Twilight movies, but like, I'm like I, I would also not be opposed to just like watching you watch all the Twilight movies because, yes. um, and I, I I read all the books, and I only saw the first three movies or first or first four i forget no so the breaking dawn they broke into two movies Mm -hmm. i remember seeing that movie in theaters and at that point i was a little bit more like um maybe twilight's a little bit ridiculous maybe but like the the birth (laughs) scene because like you know bella like spoiler alert bella gives birth to edward's baby right but don't worry they are married when they have sex and conceive this girl and so she she gives birth and the giving birth scene is so absurd that like I was oh watching it in God. theaters with a friend of mine who was like really super like serious Twilight fan and I just started laughing and I could oh not God. make myself stop. Are you and serious? she was so upset with me because I'm just like <laughs> laughing in the middle of this movie and I was like it's ridiculous. That's awesome. And anyway, I don't think I watched the second half of Breaking Time. I after guess that. you didn't. I remember that, spoiler alert, and this is from, as someone who, again, has not seen any of the movies in their entirety, I've seen clips and I've read none of the books. I remember, uh, what's his name? Jacob, the werewolf one, mm-hmm. he, like imprinted on their daughter or something, mm-hmm. which was like a weird thing. And I was like, ooh, mm-hmm. that sounds kind of funky. I don't know yeah. what that means in the larger context, because again, I have not read it. But I'm just like, that sounds weird. Yeah, so, like, in the Twilight world, werewolves, like, they have, like, their one true loves that they, like, imprint upon. Yeah. And they can imprint upon them at any time, like, even if they're not in love yet. But, like, you know, you imprint upon them and it's, like, all of a sudden you, like, have to protect them at all costs and you, like, absolutely love them. And then, like, with the idea that then that relationship, if it hasn't already, will develop into, like, a romantic relationship. And, yeah, that Jacob's like in love with Bella throughout the entire series and she chooses Edward and then he imprints upon her infant daughter. I was like hoping when you were just explaining it that maybe the imprint imprintation imprint process, whatever, would like you said it's love, but I was like, oh, maybe it's also like like a familial love. And you're like, nah, romantic. No, like, mm. no it's it's like mm. basically and like, okay, keep in mind if anybody's like read the books more recently than I have, it's it's been like 10 years since I've read more than right. 10 years now that I think right. about it. But um no, like he if I recall correctly, also because the baby is like this weird half human half vampire thing that nobody's ever seen before and like vampires aren't supposed to age so it's like really weird that she like you know is even able to like 
exist to be born. And so as she, like, after she's born, like, she has, like, this, like, super fast, like, growth. So they're like, oh, by the time she's four years old, like, she'll be old enough for Jacob to, like, romance. And I'm like, that's not reassuring. Not Um, at all. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. It's it's an interesting interesting (laughs) mix. Like, we could probably do a whole offshoot series about the Twilight books. Oh, my God. I mean, and I'm so sorry if anybody's like, how dare you, like, make fun of Twilight? Like, I'm really excited. Like, I'm happy if you're excited about these books. I'll yeah. be curious to see which direction she goes. It'd be interesting yeah. to see if she does, like, a spinoff or if she kind of flushes out that vampire world. Um, I think whatever she writes will probably be, you know, really successful. Yeah, definitely. And I think, too, like... I don't know if people on TikTok, I don't know if you've noticed like people talking about it on TikTok and stuff, but just like your question earlier of like, is it older fans, like the original, like OG fans or the new fans, but it's probably like, I guess both because it, it has, it has really um, maintained popularity through like a decade or more yeah. at this point, which is impressive. Very yeah. impressive. Yeah. I think it's... um it came out in like what 2006 so like 17 years yeah <laughs> which is insane that's wild yeah kudos to stephanie miss meyer honey collect your flowers question tears yeah would you be curious to see like how you reacted like would you want basically would you read reread the first few books to see like how you how you reacted to them at your age now or would you just oh. be like oh that's a part of the, my past and that's that <laughs> i mean i'd be open to it if we wanted to do that on the mm-hmm. show um yeah i think it'd be interesting because let me tell you i really 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 love those books when they first released mm-hmm. and i read them at like age 14 or 15 right I, let's see i, I would have been 14 when the first book came out right. i really love them and I think that there are some things that she does really well in those books. Like mm-hmm. the idea of like, oh my gosh, we're getting so off topic, but this is kind mm-hmm. of like related to her Valentine's Day sort of topic, which is like what she does really well, I think, is capture that feeling of like having a crush or feeling like you really, really like somebody when you're a teenager. Because yeah. like when you're a teenager, you don't necessarily have like the emotional maturity or awareness to like act upon your feelings or communicate them with like somebody else and it can feel like you know the person that you have this major crush on is just like this total enigma and you know you just like all you can do is like stare intensely at each other and then like just the idea of like brushing hands or or holding hands is like so immense and so important and it's it takes up a lot of like space in your emotional early romantic life. So mm-hmm. I think she really like took that and dialed it up to like a hundred. Mm-hmm. And then she just was like, and vampires and some, you know, fantasy wish fulfillment. And I think it was a perfect um mix for, you yeah. know, teenagers in particular, but like obviously not just teenagers, because a lot of adults this yeah. resonated with them to just like really fall in love with the series. I think the series kind of goes a little off the rails in the third and fourth books. Right. But um no, I think that there's I I mean, I would never say like it's total trash, don't even bother. Like yeah. I think that there are some things that like even like as writers of YA, like you can look at and learn from because like it or not, it was a very successful series. That's a good point. Looking at like people who are interested in writing and stuff like that, writing YA, um, reading YA and other novels 
um, other books from a perspective of like, okay, what does this writer do well? That's just like yeah. an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like sometimes if we like judge books as like, you know, not good or bad and, yeah. you know, in like a broad sense, but like mm-hmm. they're really popular, it's even more important to just kind of like just be critical for a moment. And like not critical in a mean way, but like critical in like a let's put on our thinking caps and think like what is it yeah. that is making this book so popular or selling so many copies or whatever. Yeah. So, Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. That makes sense. And I like I like that the new story kind of it does go with our Valentine's theme, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like it um helps to set that mood. Of course, today we're talking about romance, diverse romance. And I feel like I see our list and our list is a poppin. It looks really good. I'm excited to talk about these. Who who should go first? Should I go first or should you You go go first? first, Because I feel like I've been talking a lot. (laughs) All right. Fair, fair. Okay. So my first book is Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute by Talia Hibbert. Let's just go ahead and give her the title of the year award. Yes. I was going to say, she wins all the awards. Yes. Talia always gets all the awards from me. I love her. And I mentioned this book during our most anticipated episode, and that is because I absolutely love Talia Hibbert's adult book series about the Brown sisters. Yes. One thing I like, I love about have you have you read those books? So I've only read Get a Life, Chloe Brown, but I need <laughs> to read the other ones because I really enjoyed it. I you know, and I keep forgetting to because I don't have copies, so I should just like put them on hold on Libby or something and yes. do it because I really enjoyed Chloe Brown. And I feel like you probably, I feel like people like the third one even better, which is, um, mm. yes, Eve, it's like, it has neurodivergent characters. Oh, I love, I love all of them. I super duper love the third one. She has like purple braids and stuff like that. She, you know, it's fun. So yes, whew, y'all want some adult romance, <laughs> Talia, but keeping it YA. Um, one thing I love about the characters in her romances is that they have things that they're going through and there's always like some kind of growth. Um, everyone, like everyone is going through something, whether that be insecurities about body stuff or dealing with mental health issues, they're real about it. And the presentation of these things also feels very like real and lived in, if that makes sense. And that's just, that's just real. Cause like we all have issues. <laughs> Everyone has some kind of insecurity or thing they're working on, even while they're trying to work on the, you know, romantic relationship, you know, so it just makes it feel more real. And I'll be honest, I feel like um, sometimes in the effort to be more inclusive, like as far as novels go, things sometimes get kind of tacked on, let's say, and that can be with the best intentions, but it doesn't stop them from feeling tacked on. And with Tali Hibbert just has a great way of making everything not feel like that. It could very well be because she is no neurodivergent as well as disabled, but she just writes really well from that place. So anyway, that's my spiel on Hibbert. As you can tell, I will read any and hopefully everything by her. This particular book is about Celine and Bradley, high school students who used to be friends until Celine's interest in conspiracy theories turned Bradley off. 
Um, so now they're like kind of academic rivals because Bradley is like this jock and he like hangs with the cool kids. And Celine's interest in, like I said, conspiracy theories and posting things to social media about those conspiracy theories is like too much. She does too much. She does the most, as they say. So, well, one day Celine signs up for a survival course. It's in the woods that offers a scholarship to the winners. And Bradley is like, okay, well, I can use some scholarship money because who couldn't? I'm not even in school. I can use some scholarship money also. Uh, so he signs up as well. And so like now the two of them have to work as a team. And as they rough it in the woods, they go over their past and hash some things out. And let me tell you, this is so cute and funny at times, which is also a trademark of Hibbert. It also has some great family support. And Bradley is a sweet little muffin baby. We must protect him at all costs. Oh, and the banter is chef's kiss. If you like, you know, quick witty, witty banter, which I very much do. So again, that is Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute by Talia Hibbert. So cute. Yes. Um, I have yet to pick that one up, but definitely on my list. Mm-hmm. So my first pick um, is Hani and Ishu's Guide to Fake Dating by Adiba J. Girar. And this is such a good book. Like it really strikes the balance between being really sweet and cute and fun, but also dealing with some like really serious and, and big issues, which I am always impressed by. Like there's so many great romance novels out there right now that are not just like fluff, like they are digging into like deeper issues while also offering like these really wonderful romances. And it's always just really impressive to me. So this book, um, it's set in Ireland. It is about Hani and Ishu. And they are basically like the only brown girls in their very white Irish school. And everybody just kind of, kind of assumes like, oh, because, you know, you're both, you know, from the same culture, even though technically they are not. I believe Hani's from Bangladesh. Her family is from Bangladesh and her and Ishu's um, parents are from India. Um, no, they're both Bengali. Sorry, I, I was getting confused with the first book that she wrote, which is um, The Henna Wars. So um, they they kind of know each other, but they it's not like their family is really socialized outside of school or anything like that. But everybody just assumes that like, oh, you guys would know each other because of, um, you know, who you are and who your families are. Not necessarily true. Um, Hani is... You know, one of the popular girls at school, she's got these friends who don't really seem to understand, like, who she is, but she just kind of, you know, brushes it off. Um, Ishu is, like, this very intense, um, very academically focused. She's got, got some demanding parents at home. And they find themselves in a fake dating scheme when Hani comes out as bisexual to her friends. And her friends are really kind of awful about it. They're like, oh, but you've never dated a girl. You've never even mentioned, like, liking a girl. So you're not really bisexual. Which we, of course, know is horrible, like, biphobia and erasure. And she is really upset by this. It's she panics and she's like well yeah i've got a girlfriend you just don't know about her and then they're like well who is it and she says ishu and ishu of course is unaware of this um and so honey goes to her and is like help 
And Ishu is kind of like, um, why, why would you say this? And why would I help you? But Hani's popular. And she's thinking, well, maybe I can trade in on her popularity. And so I can be a voted head girl at school, um, which would set her up really well for applying to university. So Thus begins their fake dating scheme, which of course leads to real romance. Um, some things I really liked about this, um, Hani is, um, Muslim and she, she's, you know, she's practicing her faith is really important to her. Um, and it was really cool to see a Muslim girl um, who's queer and her parents are also actually pretty accepting of, um, her identity. And I just thought that that was really cool. Ishu is, um, you know, a little bit more, you know, she's, she's more closeted. She's a little bit more self-aware and self-conscious, but she also has some family stuff going on that leads to her wanting to always appear to be perfect and on top of her class. And um, it leads to some communication mishaps with her family. So I just thought that this was a really great book that kind of dug a little bit deeper into the idea of like culture and religion, but also contemporary romance. And it was really sweet. So that is Honey and Ishu's Guide to Fake Dating by Adiba Jagirdar. Awesome. I'm also sitting over here wondering, like, what if, (laughs) is that like a fast track to getting a, a partner? Like, oh, I told, I told these people, like, I had a boyfriend. So can you just like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. do you mind? (laughs) Would that be terribly inconvenient for you? Fake dating is hilarious to me because like, I, like, I, I just was like, who agrees to be fake boyfriend and girlfriend? Is this yeah. a thing? Like, if like, you does would, that ever happen? It does that ever happen? Like, according to books, it happens all the time. Yeah. I'm not opposed to it in real life. Like, the idea is interesting, but I'm like, I've never seen that. I know, right? <laughs> I'm curious. Like, if y'all have seen some fake dating, I would love to hear the story. Like, actually really appreciate it. So, Tell me your real fake dating stories. Yeah, unfortunately, I went to high school in the uh, mid-2000s, so the only mm-hmm. fake dating that was going on was like, hey, will you agree to be my girlfriend so my parents don't know I'm gay? And people were like, yep. And oh. that did not lead to romance. So oh. <laughs> I'm like, give me the happy fake dating, like, real yes. And like romance and game type of things. That's real. I didn't even. I didn't even think about that. Mm. Yeah. Maybe I just dated myself there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're good. Yeah. Happy. Look. Tell us some happy fake dating stories if they exist. Real Please. fake dating stories. Real. Yes. <laughs> yes fake dating story. Or even if they didn't end up happy. But yeah. So who. That sounds fun. I like how people of color all know each other. Side note, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is a good one. Uh, The next one I have is Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling by Elise Bryant. And this came out like five minutes ago. Well, literally like the end of January, but super hot, super fresh. And here are some more great nerdy characters or character, I should say. 
You've got Reggie, who is into Dungeons and Dragons and who calls himself a blurred, which just means black nerd for the uninitiated. He also writes and publishes articles online about racism anonymously. And then there is Delilah, who is just trying to seem like this like super chill girl at school. It's a performance, though. And this performed chillness results in her being in a punk band as a lead singer, even though she has no experience singing or with music or anything like that. But that's like a perfect example of how she's trying to fake this very like cool persona. So anyway, the two meet and they instantly like each other, but their interactions keep getting interrupted. Like when they first meet Reggie, you know, they have their little meet cute moment. They're like, oh, you're cute. Like, oh, you're cute. But then one of her bandmates comes up and Reggie like backs off because he thinks that she's with that guy or whatever. And throughout the book, they meet on different holidays like Juneteenth, St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's Day, and even Catfish Day, which I didn't know was its own date. But I'll have to investigate because I love fried catfish. That's That's hilarious. Yes, Catfish Day, what? Anyway, so the thing with both of them is that while they are attracted to each other, both of them are putting on fronts. Like Delilah is not the cool girl she tries to present as. She actually wishes she was more confident like Reggie, who she sees as someone who just likes what he likes, regardless of what anyone thinks. He like fully nerds out and he's just like, this is me. He lives in his truth, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, Reggie is also faking the funk, as they say. He's not nearly as confident as he is trying to seem. So, and he fakes this confidence so that he can get partially so that he can get Delilah's attention, her affection, whatever, so she'll like him. So the two of them, throughout the book, two of them are working out who they really are and also coming together romantically. So those two aspects are a large part of the story. I really like the character development here. And that is just so real. Like you were talking earlier about how Stephanie Meyer's really, really good with capturing how your emotions are regulated and like, especially uh, as far as crushes go as a teenager. And this is a big aspect I feel of um, adolescence and like, you know, your early twenties, mid twenties, even for some people, listen, like, you know, and I will say adulthood too, but more so that age is like, you're, 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 you have to figure out who you are. And it's like, you have to, some people have to, you know, try on different I don't know, different facade, facade means fake, but try on different personalities and try different things and grow into yourself and grow into your confidence in yourself and being who you are and liking what you like. So that's just a big, you know, a big part of adolescence. And I like how it's handled here. So definitely pick this one up. It is again, Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling by Elise Bryant. And we will get into some more books right after we hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. 
Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon Publishing. So I got a story with a little Old West debauchery, if you want to get a little messy. So there is a city steeped in the Old West mess. And in the city, a reporter is following every lead to a dangerous place, one that could bring him glory and fame or end his life. New York Times bestselling author Robert Dugoni is back with a gripping new thriller of corruption, vice, and murder set in Depression-era Seattle. It's about a reporter covering a hot murder trial who soon learns nothing is what it seems. The story could make his career if he lives to write about it. You can learn more at Amazon.com slash A Killing on the Hill. So yes, A Killing on the Hill by Robert Dugoni is what you need to pick up if you are into some Depression-era danger in Seattle. It's a city of big dreams and dark ambitions. And this reporter gets caught up in the muck. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so yes, my next pick. I'm really excited to talk about this one um, because I feel like it's one of those books that I've probably mentioned a few times like on the show and on Book Riot and I try to like, you know, not be like, oh my God, this book all the time, but seriously, (laughs) this book. And it's really great because it is by Lily Anderson, who recently got a Prince Honor for Scout's Honor. Um, she is an amazing yes, writer. And, yes, Lily, yes, love we it, love Lily. We love Lily so much. And Lily's first two books, I think, came out and like were pretty well received, but like maybe not getting like the widespread attention that they deserve. And I feel like her second book in particular is greatly overlooked, but hopefully it gets some attention, especially now that she's won this award. Um, it is not now, not ever. And it is a very loose and very funny retelling of the importance of being earnest. So it is about Elliot, who is black. Um, she's a teenager who has divorced parents, but it's kind of like um, like a pretty, you know, nice situation and that everybody sort of gets along. But her parents are all very, very, very opinionated. And they all have very strong ideas about like what she's going to do with her future. And nobody's really asking her what she wants to do. So Elliot has a few options for her summer, um, which is, you know, she either gets to stay home in Sacramento and assist with her stepmother's production of The Importance of Being Earnest, or her father wants her to go to mock trial camp in Los Angeles, um, but her mom wants her to come to Colorado Springs, where she is in the Air Force, and basically do, like, a teenage, like, mock boot camp sort of situation. And Elliot's just like, "Mm, no, no to all of this. She wants option four, which is to go to this tiny little college um, in Oregon, which has a summer camp for advanced um, academic kids. And she really wants to go to this summer camp in this university because this university has 
um, all of Octavia Butler's papers and her like manuscripts and everything. And it also has one of the only science fiction like undergrad programs in the country and she wants to go there for college but she also knows that like all three of her parents would be like absolutely not so she concocts this really elaborate ruse a la the importance of being earnest where she comes up with this fake identity she misleads all three of her parents and she jets up to um oregon to do this summer camp thing and she assumes the name ever And she also, like, registers under a fake last name. It's not a fake last name. It's basically a a family name, but it's not her last name. And so she gets up there, and everybody's calling her by this new name. She feels like she has this whole new persona. She's like, this is excellent. Like, I'm going to have the best summer ever. And then her golden child cousin, Isaac, shows up. And it just so happens that Isaac has... The same last name as the name that she um, used on her fake identity. So they have to pretend to be siblings. And he is like, oh, you're in such big trouble because I can expose you with one phone call. And so now it like hilarity and shenanigans um, ensue. But it's also got a really great romantic um, relationship at the heart. So um ever slash Elliot finds herself falling for this um, cute white boy who is like, she thinks she makes a lot of jokes about how he's so pale. He's a ghost and he like carries this typewriter everywhere and he writes fiction on a typewriter. And he's like, surely you are a ghost from yesteryear because you cannot be a real human being in the 21st century. Um, And they've got excellent, excellent banter. So I just really love this book. I think it's so funny. I love the nods to the importance of being earnest. But if you've never read the play or seen the fantastic movie with Colin Firth and Rupert Everett, you know, you can get by without it. Um, But I highly recommend at least watching the movie um, and then reading this as well, because it's really fun. So again, that is Not Now, Not Ever by Lily Anderson. It is available still in um, like ebook and... I think the hardcover is still available. I'm not sure if it was ever made into an audiobook, sadly. And I don't think it ever got a paperback release. But it's not like it's completely out of print and, and completely unfindable. Um, I highly recommend getting it because it's just amazing. Yes. Amazing. I love it. So the next one I have is Love is for Losers. <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Love is for Losers by Vibka Bruggeman. And I just had to giggle because at the beginning of the episode, I know you're like, if you don't like Valentine's, and I was thinking, I have a book for you, actually. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I have a book for you. And not to say that, okay, so I'm talking about this book during our episode of romance. So clearly, you know, it's romantic. Not to convert people who are not romantic. You don't have to be. It's fine. But it's also just, I like how this story starts. Um, It's kind of a a slice of life story, which I haven't had, I haven't read, I haven't like come across uh, too much of in novels. 
I've read like graphic novels and manga that are slice of life, and I really love those. So it was cool to see this in this book, which tells its story through diary entries. It's about Phoebe, who is low-key misanthropic or high-key misanthropic. Um, she is a teen living in London who does not believe in love, if you could, as you could tell from the title, probably. Um, so her mom is away in Syria. She thinks she's a doctor or whatever. And she, so Phoebe has to go live with her godmother, Kate. And because of this, she ends up working at her godmother's thrift shop. And I don't know why, but I love the setting of a thrift shop for a book. This book made me realize that I think the only other settings that could be cozier for me are like maybe a library or bookstore, used bookstore slash cafe, you know? So anyway, despite Phoebe's aversion to love, she starts having feelings for one of her coworkers, Emma, who she views as this like perfect person. And so we get to see her interactions with Emma and how the two of them, how Emma kind of just changes her view on things and changes her outlook on love and things like that kind of cracks that tough shell that Phoebe has. There's a lot of like witty like jokes and stuff like that. So this is another funny one. It also has some in-depth exploration of things like grief and family and family issues and um, some slow burn lesbian romance. And this is, (laughs) woo yes. So this is a, this is a fun one. I'm glad I found it when we were like, as we were looking for books, as I was looking for books for this episode, because I feel like it's kind of unique in its presentation. And like I said, slice of life story, which I really love slice of life for some reason. It just connects with me. So yeah, I think it's fun. Definitely check it out. Again, Love is for Losers by Vibka Bruggeman. I love the cover of this Yes. One. Isn't it's it cool? so great. It's, it's so great. It's so fun. Um, and I thank you for reminding me about this book because I think that, like, I know this book was on my radar at one point, but I mm-hmm. think that it fell victim, sadly, to, like, a lot of the COVID, like, delayed releases. Oh, I see. And then I never, like, went back to it. So I'm like... Looking at Libby now. Who has this book? Yeah, it it's pr- it's uh pretty recent to well, hence the like you said the COVID. Um, yeah, it came out like February. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's so many books coming out. Like, once a book changes their release date, it's easy to like for, like forget that it's coming out. It just kind of yeah. messes certain things up. So I totally feel you that. And the and the cover is mm, like you said, excellent. Yeah. So good. Ah, darn it. I'm looking at my Libby right now. They only have the German version. I'm going to have to request the English. (laughs) Yes. Oh, they have a German version? Oh, that's cool. Well, it's like a German translation. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because the author's German. Yeah, the author's very German. I definitely had to make sure I was saying her name correctly. (laughs) Good for you. You got it. Yes. Um, I tried. Yes. So, okay. My next pick is also a sapphic novel, and it is She Drives Me Crazy by Kelly Quinlan. I know that last episode, I waxed poetic about how much I loved Kelly Quinlan's um, Late to the Party. So now you're going to hear all about She Drives Me Crazy. (laughs) Um, So this book is about Scotty. She is a teenager. She plays basketball. And she is reeling from the breakup with her girlfriend. Um, Her girlfriend 
pretty much dumped her because she transferred schools. And it's not like she transferred schools like very far away. Like she transferred schools like 10 minutes down the road. And but she was like, well, you know, I just want to transfer because I want to go to a school with a better basketball team. And I think we need to break up just so I can focus on that. And Scotty is devastated. So the book begins with her first basketball game against her ex-girlfriend. And her ex-girlfriend just gets in her head. And Scotty does not handle it very well. So as she's leaving the game, she's so upset. She gets in her car and she gets into a fender bender with Irene Abraham. And Irene is kind of scary. She is like this beautiful, perfect cheerleader she is Indian and she is like one of those people like in high school where like you're like she's so beautiful and perfect and kind of mean like I'm terrified of her stay far away but unfortunately Scotty you know hits her car and when their moms show up to like take care of the damage and and discuss the details of like okay how are we going to handle this um the mothers decide oh well since one of you is without a car you guys can carpool to school from now on until the car gets fixed, which is not an ideal thing because Irene is pissed at Scotty. Scotty is kind of annoyed and scared of her. And they have this very, very contentious relationship. However, they decide um, within a day or two of this arrangement to enter into a fake dating scheme because rumor that um, Scotty and Irene are carpooling makes Scotty's ex-girlfriend jealous. And Scotty wants to continue to make her ex-girlfriend jealous in the hopes that she will, you know, come back to her, which as adults, I think we all know that that is a terrible, terrible way to approach and handle a breakup. But like as a teenager, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can totally see this being like a plausible thing where you're like, this this could work. Um, so they start doing this fake dating thing. But of course, it gets complicated when they catch real feelings. And I really liked seeing the character evolution in this, um, like seeing Irene as just like this kind of scary, cold, mean girl, and then like actually seeing the depths underneath. Um, that was really fun. Um, but also, I really liked this book because it's a very, very, very good example of how, you know, people who have like loving homes, loving families, Um, good support systems like Scotty does can sometimes get sucked into like really toxic and bad relationships because her um, relationship with her ex-girlfriend is not good. And it's really, really, really hard for her to break out of that. And that is part of what is, you know, sabotaging her new relationship with Irene. So I just really appreciated that, you know, she drives me crazy is a fun, you know, fake dating romance, but it also digs deeper into like, you know, what does a toxic romance look like? And and how can somebody, you know, really draw boundaries and and like pull out of that with their sanity intact and, um, you know, ha- then go on to learn how to be in a good, healthy relationship. So it's and it's also really funny that this book just does a really great job of like setting the scene there's really great um it's a really great setting there's really great supporting characters it's just awesome so it is she drives me crazy by kelly quinlan yes i am so here for so i feel like okay i feel like i'm getting ahead of myself as usual but (laughs) sometimes i feel like maybe this is a western world thing 
But I feel like sometimes people mistake a writer writing about something as a writer endorsing something, which is not the case. And I was just going to say, I say that because I think we sh- there should be, you know, more exploration of like what you said, toxic relationships and setting boundaries and how to come out of those relationships. I think it's so helpful because a lot of people experience toxic relationships. But I think also sometimes people mistake like a, a um, an author writing about something as them endorsing that. So it's like, you know, that might put a hindrance on things and, you know, people want main characters to be likable and stuff. But I just like that YA, I just feel that YA deals with some heavy topics that I think need to be explored more. So yeah. Let me tell you the amount of toxic relationships I've heard about from my friends (laughs) (laughs) or that I've experienced myself. And like, you know, it would be nice to be like, okay, well, first, the first thing is like, that's helpful to realize it's like, okay, I'm not the only one that has experienced this. And I think identifying it too is hard. So because sometimes, you know, it's easier to identify it from the outside than it is from the inside. But Mm -hmm. if you have practice identifying it from the outside, then if you find yourself in this situation, you can be like, wait a second, like alarm bells are ringing. Yes. And I just appreciated too, like, even like, as I was reading She Drives Me Crazy, I could understand and empathize with why Scotty wanted to get back together with her ex. And I could really feel those, like, intense feelings that she had. But, like, also objectively, you could kind of see, like, oh, maybe it's best that she doesn't. Yeah. So it's it's good. Yeah. And, yeah, things are complex. And that's why I think you said it better than I did just now. Like, human experiences on a spectrum on a continuum things are complex so that's why it's not always super easy to see how something is bad but yes that sounds really good we love kelly well i haven't read anything by kelly quinlan i was gonna say we love kelly quinlan but only because i hear you talking about her all the time we love kelly quinlan we love kelly quinlan (laughs) (laughs) yes i will throw i will back you up on that yes absolutely oh that's a good one all right so my final one today is The Stars and the Blackness Between Them by Janata Petrus. And so this is about Audrey, who lives in Trinidad and who is being sent to America because she was caught with a girl, a girlfriend, actually, which her father, a pastor, sees as unacceptable. So right off the bat, we have homophobia expressed through a parent. And she moves to Minneapolis in the U.S. where she meets Mabel, whose father is Audrey's father's friend. So they're connected in that way. Two of them meet at dinner and fall hard, basically. Um, The story is told in two distinct voices. And the writing is so lyrical and pretty at times. The characters deal with some heavy issues like health issues that Mabel experiences that Audrey tries to help her with. There's another storyline about totally different characters, Afua and Queenie. And Afua is on, this is going to seem like kind of random for like a romance or romantic story, but Afua is on death row for a crime he didn't commit. And so through this storyline, we get explorations of prison and death, which again, seem like they don't fit, but there is a definite connection, which adds to the complexity of the story. And I feel like... It's like, okay, so the title is The Stars and the Blackness Between Them. It explores astrology, like the meaning of life. There's some magical realism elements in it that like all come together. And of course, love and queerness and blackness and different kinds of blackness because you have 
Black Americans and you have Caribbean, the Trinidadian element. Um, so all of this kind of comes together and Petrus, the author, just weaves everything together in this very, like, with very beautiful writing and some very interesting, like, reflections on life and stuff like that. The miracle of life and death and everything like that. So I think it's a really, I love magical realism. I think it's just like a really, a really pretty book that has these two girls who are in love at the center. So definitely pick that up if you want all of that. Like, you know, you have a little bitterness, a little sourness with the sweet and beautiful writing. Again, that's The Stars and the Blackness Between Them by Janata Petrus. That sounds really good. And it's Mm -hmm. also kind of been on my radar for a long time, but I have yet to pick it up. So thank you for the reminder that this book exists and I should get it. My final pick is one that, full disclosure, I'm still working on, but really enjoying. Um, It is My Fine Fellow by Jenica Cohen. And it is one that I know I chatted about last, um, in my last episode uh, when we talked about um, the winners of the ALA Youth Media Awards. That was in my HeyYA Extra um, credit episode. Um, so this book was a finalist for the Sydney Taylor Award, which um, honors YA and children's books that um, depict the Jewish experience. So this book is great because it has some really great um, Jewish representation and some Filipino representation. And it's set in 1830s England. And it's kind of not quite like an alternate, but like a slightly sort of tweaked. So it's a bit more feminist than 1830s England actually was. And it is as I said, a retelling of My Fair Lady. And it stars Penelope Pickering, who is going to this culinary institute with her friend Helena Higgins. And they are both like at the top of their class in this culinary institute, which is um, uh, an offshoot of the Royal Academy. And Penelope is um, half Filipina, half white, most people kind of assume that she's white because she's fairly white passing. Um, but um, she knows that like her parents are not really welcome in polite society. So she is living with um, her best friend, Helena. And Helena is this very sharp tongued, opinionated, believes she knows everything there is to know about food and society and how things ought to be type of person. So the two girls are gearing up for their final term at um, this culinary institute, and they have to do a final project that will kind of wow their teachers and then will hopefully secure them a placement in society as these expert culinarians. And Penelope's project is she's going to try to show that like non-European cuisine is good. And it should have a place in society and it shouldn't be considered as like weird or ucky or or foreign, um, which is a little bit of a challenge for her in 1830s England to convince people. Helena is a little bit upset because she can't find the first project, her final project. And she, she wants it to be perfect. She wants it to wow everybody. And so the two girls stumble upon Elijah Little in the streets of London one night while they're sampling um, street vendor food. And he has like these really amazing 
like flavors from all over the world. And he has like this, a lot of natural talent, um, natural talent that Helena is kind of drawn to, even though she is very like dismissive of his rough around the edges persona. And Helena decides that for her final project, she's going to turn Elijah into the perfect gentleman, gentleman baker, who will then go on to, you know, open up his own bakery and be greatly successful. And like her final project is just to like prove that she can do that, I guess. Um, it's a little weird, but, um, you know, just go with it. And. Elijah, you know, is very poor. So he's willing to kind of put up with these, you know, two chaotic girls just for a chance at a better future. Um, And then, of course, romance blossoms. But Elijah is also Jewish. And that is not um, something that he really discloses at the beginning of the book. But um, because he is Jewish, that does limit him and prohibit him from um, certain opportunities because of his faith. So, I really liked this book because it is so, like, it'll make you hungry. It has so many great descriptions of food. The banter is excellent. Um, The romance is really sweet. I liked the dynamics and also just, like, the gender-flipped My Fair Lady retelling was really fun. I also really appreciate it because it shows that like contrary to popular opinion or belief, um, there were people who weren't white and who weren't like Christian existing in London in the 1800s. And this just shows a little bit of like what their lives were about. Um, It's a slightly, like I said, tweaked, fantastical, I mean, not fantastical in the sense that there's magic, but like some things have been tweaked. So it's not completely true to historical accuracy. But my uh, hot take is that I don't think things need to be completely historically accurate to be good historical fiction. So that is My Fine Fellow by Jenica Cohen. Awesome. I will say too, that with historical tweaking, sometimes like the tweaking isn't isn't as much of a tweak as we think it is, because certain parts of history have been kind of misrepresented Mm-hmm. I just just adding that because I recently found out. Well, I you know um, with like Bridgerton, uh, you know people were complaining like, oh, it's like about people of color. There are a lot of people of color, and like, oh, were there that many in England at that time, especially in I guess aristocratic positions, whatever. And I saw an article saying, well, actually, yeah, there were way more than there were may, way more people of color in England then gets talked about usually in period pieces that talk about that time, like the Regency era or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, that makes sense. So just just throwing that out there. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. saying, you know, but that sounds like a really fun, a really good one. Yeah. And I really enjoyed um, her first book, Dangerous Alliance, which is Regency era, fun, romantic adventure romp. Yes. So yeah, she, Jenica Cohen, if you've not picked up her books, don't sleep on them. They're really fun. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I think once again, we've easily run out of time, yes. which is not a hard thing for us because we love books and mm-hmm. books are fun. So thank you so much for tuning in this week. Um, we hope that um, you found something fun and romantic to pick up. And if you're not into that romance, well, um, sorry, we can just move on. But um, I hope you at least enjoyed some good chocolate or sweet. 
let's see, please feel free to leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it lets us know how we're doing and helps others find us. You can always email us at heyya at bookriot.com, especially with your real life fake dating stories. Yes, please. (laughs) And then don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and of course, all things bookish. Thank you again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible. And thanks to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. Um, You can follow me on um, Instagram. I hang out at at Tears of Price. How about you, Erica? I'm on Twitter at Erica underscore easy E underscore. Awesome. Well, that is it for us. And we will talk to you again soon in two weeks. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.